Bonjour, Tansi, Anin. Welcome to the Return of the Buffalo podcast. Mayengan Inene Indijnikas. My name is Marcus Peter Rempel. I come from the tribe of the Mennonites, and the spirit name I carry associates me with the wolf, the teacher of humility. It's a good name for a white guy, since humility is something that I can never seem to learn enough of. I am humbled and I am honored to serve as team leader for the Return of the Buffalo Indigenous Family Wellbeing Initiative here at the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, a place where the United Church of Canada lives out its apology for the arrogant colonization of Indigenous peoples and the false presumption that we Europeans brought all the Creator's wisdom and all the Creator's stories with us when we landed on the shores of Turtle Island. Today, the residential schools have closed, but the apprehensions of Indigenous children from their homes continue. Nearly 90% of children, quote, in care in the province of Manitoba are Indigenous. Our elders have laid it upon us to accompany Indigenous families on their healing journeys in ways that return us to an enlarged sense of kinship and a respect for the healing wisdom that kept Indigenous families and communities in good relations with all their relations for millennia. That is the path that the Return of the Buffalo name signifies. Here on the Return of the Buffalo podcast, it is my honor to tap into what our elder Stan McKay calls the magnificence of the circle, gathering the voices of the Return of the Buffalo community and those who inspire us on our path. Thanks for listening. So I want to welcome Adrian Jacobs to the Return of the Buffalo podcast, um, our our first interview. Um, if this goes, we're we're not, we're not even sure if this is a practice interview or the real deal. If this goes well, we'll uh, we'll save it and uh, and share it. Um, Adrian is uh, my. He doesn't like he doesn't like me to call him uh, my boss. Uh, at Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, which which I appreciate because um, I I learned somewhere along the way that the word boss comes from the old English word to beat, so it means the guy who can give beatings to other people. So I'm I'm happy that Adrian isn't uh, isn't interested in being a boss in that way. Um, so he's he's the he's the keeper of the of the circle for Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, um, and I I. I've learned a little bit about your background, uh, Adrian, over the years we've worked together, and and so I understand that your your mother was an Anglican Christian, uh, and your father was a faith keeper. And tell me if I'm getting this right, for the Handsome Lake Longhouse of the Haudenosaunee people. Um, right, right. And uh, I grew up at the Six Nations Reserve in Southern Ontario, and it, it is the largest reserve in Canada. And there, there are the six nations, Mohawk, uh, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, Tuscarora. Uh, but there are all other nations there as well, Delaware uh, and a few other nations. Uh, so it, it also has the largest traditional community uh, pretty well intact uh, from pre-colonial times. Hmm. So it, it, uh, that's the part of the life that I lived uh, with my father. We, we grew up in the uh, 
in the longhouse going to the ceremonies and we attended like funerals and weddings for uh, at my mother's uh, Anglican church, but I wasn't really uh, enculturated into the Anglicanism there. I went, I went to the traditional ceremonies. It was all held in the language and I had a very limited grasp of the language. So I'd always be asking my father about um, uh, what are they doing? What are they saying? And he would uh, do his best to, explain things to me. So that's how I grew up at Six Nations. So I, yeah, it makes me curious about, and we can, we can maybe talk a little bit more about the, the moment when you chose to embrace uh, Christianity as, uh, you know, for your own personal commitments of, of faith. Um, but I'm just curious that that upbringing of uh, both both traditions being respected in your in your home, how that shaped your imagination as a as a young person, and how it helped form you for leadership at at Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, where holding Christian tradition and traditional Indigenous traditions respectfully side by side is is a core value. Yeah, it's been um, like one of the things that I reflect back on was that. Uh, how my parents treated each other uh, was always respectful. I knew that they both didn't agree about various things, but the, I never heard abusive language used. Uh, they never yelled at each other. Never, There was no violence or anything in our home. And so even though they were differing, and I, I understood the difference. I knew that there was uh, a difference between being at the longhouse and going there to the ceremonies. Uh, when I went as a young person, there there wasn't always a lot of people there. Today, there has been a cultural renewal, and there are hundreds of people now at the longhouse. But when I would go, mm. sometimes it'd be a handful of people. Mm. And uh, there were not a lot of young people, a few young people, and so a few young boys sitting in, in the uh, at the longhouse on our side, our our side of the longhouse, and uh, some young girls, and then elders and parents, etc. Uh, so uh, I grew up in that setting, and uh, the idea was we were we would be raised in the longhouse. Uh, we weren't raised in the church, although my mother, that was her faith, and I understood that was important to her. But it was no real question that we went anywhere but the longhouse, you know, as our upbringing. So in in some ways, it's it, uh, when I look back upon it, it was just natural and normal uh, to attend the ceremonies and and to go with my mother to, uh, to the various uh, events that she went to. And I, I remember, you know, uh, eating uh, church suppers and at Thanksgiving in the basement of that uh, Anglican church and uh, a, a lot of her, well, her side of the family was Anglican. So my uh, other relatives I knew went there as well. So just accepted that as that's what they do. And I know that on my father's side, uh, we all went to the longhouse and that's what we did. So in a sense, it wasn't um, the sense of difference uh, it, that brought any kind of conflict or 
uh, kind of, it never brought any unsettling to me either. Uh, I did go to, I remember now that I went to the Delaware United Church to a, uh, to a vacation. Now that I understand it, it would have been a vacation uh, Bible school uh, during the summer. And uh, because some of my neighbors went to that church. And I remember, the only thing I remember from going there, I don't know whether I went several days or one day, but I just remember drawing a picture of Samson because they told us the story of Samson. And I remember that I drew it like the, uh, uh, I drew Samson to look like Hercules from the 1960s uh, 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 movies. And and people laughed at, at my drawing and said, you're drawing him with a little skirt on. And I said, haven't you, <laughs> haven't you seen the movie? Haven't you seen Steve Reeves as Hercules? <laughs> but anyways, that's all I remember. So I didn't know anything really about the Christian faith itself. I knew of Christ. I was telling uh, a lot of folks uh, recently that even though I grew up in the uh, traditional religion of my ancestors, I loved Christmas, and I loved everything about Christmas. Uh, the story of Jesus, uh, little drummer boy, Santa Claus, uh, Christmas tree, present giving. And uh, I remember that even at the the Lower Cuga Longhouse, the elders there uh, would greet one another at Christmas time with the phrase, Christmas, Christmas. Uh, they didn't say Merry Christmas. They just said Christmas, Christmas. I remember them doing that. So. It wasn't as though they were kind of uh, fragile in their own faith and they couldn't mention the word Christ or anything like that. They they greeted one another like that. And and my family fully embraced, uh, you know, all of the celebrations of Christmas. Uh, so I grew up with that kind of acceptance. And it wasn't until there was a... Uh, real experience with my older brother and a very changed life that when he encountered uh, his faith experience with Christ, that then brought that to, to me as, you know, there is a difference. What am I going to do about it? Um, you, you know, my I knew my father. I knew what he believed. I knew my mother. I knew what she believed. I just simply saw myself as as uh, you know, a person of the longhouse, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a church person, and but my brother uh, lived a very kind of you know seventies uh, wild uh, life and uh, did all kinds of things uh, that were against both the morality of the longhouse and the church. Uh, just a typical uh, uh, person in the early seventies, you know, following on the liberation of the hippies, et cetera, and all of that. Uh, and his life was dramatically changed in his encounter with Christ. And then he began to talk to me about it. So it kind of brought that question of what does this, what does this really mean for me? So while I was in university, you know, uh, in the 70s, uh, there was a beginning revival of indigenous culture there was more respect for it. Uh, there was the movie Little Big Man that, uh, you know, affirmed, you know, the indigenous perspective and way of life, et cetera, and contrasted it with, uh, you know, the Western way of looking at things. And and so 
in university because there was a, a movement of indigenous identity, my professors um, encouraged me in that. I, I was one of uh, 70 architecture students at the University of Waterloo at, at the time, the only indigenous uh, person there uh, in my class. And But my professors, you know, they, they encouraged me in that area. So there was a pride in being indigenous that was fostered by my education. So when my brother began to talk to me about Jesus, uh, then I argued with him. And, mm. and, and I, I said, that's the white man's religion. And I remember the uh, Anglican deacon uh, getting kicked out of the hotel in Caledonia and, and, and come uh, out of the hotel doors swung open and he gets uh, uh, kicked out to the street because he's probably been causing trouble inside being so drunk. And then I remember him getting up and walking towards our car and I was afraid that he'd try to get in our car. And so that was my picture of the church, that here's a leader from the church that's nothing mm. that has nothing to do with me. I don't really care for that. So when my brother began to talk to me, I had to really think about that and think about what he was saying to me. And ultimately, uh, his changed life spoke so loud that I could not ignore the reality of, of that influence in his life and finally came to terms with it myself and 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 really felt like from that point that it's been clear that Jesus came not just for white people but for mm. everybody so there was this change in my perspective uh that it was limited and just for the white man or something like that and it became something that says no this is good for me and so I've I've lived in that kind of kind of experience and confidence ever since. Um, now I didn't immediately go to the Anglican Church because I didn't really see anything vital there. But my mother had gone to some uh, meetings uh, that were uh, more vital with their faith and more um, understanding of the of the purpose of Christ and what he did in the earth and what how your Christian faith is to be lived up now. So I began to attend there. And at first I rejected everything native. In fact, I burned everything that, that I had that was native, mm. not because anybody told me, just because I, I kind of concluded, well, these people are different and, you know, you want to belong, et cetera. Mm. But I was never really happy with that. And I continued to really uh, try to understand our own people because uh, of the indigenous people, uh, Haudenosaunee, Iroquoian peoples are probably one of the most written about peoples uh, of the Americas, uh, followed probably by Mayans and Inca and Lakota. And so, uh, you know, I've got lots of access to some of this literature, and I open it up, and that's my family, that's my relatives, those are those are my community members, and so uh, knowing just internally that Christ meant something to me as a as a Kiyuka person, uh, it it exploded my understanding before of it being the white man religion. So I began to think about that 
in in differing terms for our people. And uh, so that uh, that idea of understanding our people uh, and understanding the Christian faith in the light of who we are as people has been a a decades long journey. And along the way, I found it found some friends that did the same thing, some Lakota friends, some Mi'kmaq friends, some Cree friends, uh, and and Cherokee friends that uh, realized that it uh, being a follower of Christ wasn't incompatible uh, to their being an uh, a Native American uh, Aboriginal Indigenous person. So uh, that's it's been a a long and good journey, and I feel like coming to Sandy Soto. Um, my original upbringing with, you know, my father being integrally traditional, my mother being honestly Anglican, and them living a, a, a good, respectful life together, that I, I see that that's, that's what I'm continuing to do. It's been actually the passion of my life to, to say, what, what is it that the Creator has, has made in us in the original, you know, instructions, the original creation, and what does Christ mean to make that uh, better and to enhance it and to fulfill it in ways that that are good for us as people? So I think that I've come pretty well full circle to this place at Sandy Soto in, in that desire to follow that. I think that's one of the really interesting things about Christianity is. Uh, its relationship to culture. I, I think about Paul's Paul's conversion experience uh, from 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 this kind of tribally enclosed worldview to this. He's really the one who really makes us aware that you you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. Uh, you don't you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to you know all the you know the particular culturals packaging of that 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 the gospel came in um and and ever since then there's been this really interesting thing that happens when when the gospel moves from one culture to another and it i think it can be in some ways you know the most insidious kind of colonization um or it can be uh an incredible freedom and and uh and an opening to to a human community that that is possible across all kinds of cultural divides. Uh, so you are my you're 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 uh, the person I'm accountable to at Sandy Soto in the work of uh, a fairly new initiative uh, that has to do with uh, family well-being. Um, and th that's that's. Uh, that that journey towards family wellness, uh, especially as it relates to land-based healing, that's something that we want to highlight in this podcast. Um, I'm curious. I'd love it if you could tell a bit of the story of of how that vision became uh, came became part of the conversation in the circle at Sandy Soto and and was kind of birthed into reality as as one of the things that we do now at Sandy Soto Spiritual Center. Yeah, one of the things that I think that is uh, uh, part and parcel with my own embrace of indigenous, uh, um, my indigenous identity and the Christian faith 
has been the has come from an indigenous understanding of uh, of uh, spirituality being embodied. Uh, by that I mean that um, mm. you know the 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 story of scripture is all about a land and people mm -hmm. in the land mm -hmm. and people relating in that land and that's like the seed ground for everything else and what i have observed is that uh, often in western theology there's this emphasis on abstract terminology mm. uh, you know theology that tries to be universal contextless and timeless like timeless truth those kinds of things that are that are not they're outside of context and and uh, if there is a contribution that mm. comes to the Christian understanding is this idea of embodied spirituality spirituality isn't some just invisible thing out there it's it's this uh, idea that spirituality is earthy and it's here and it's now and it's in relationship and i i learned that in different ways uh one was certainly my brother's experience i could not i could argue you know philosophy and history with uh, a christian and and dismiss christianity because of its actions as not worth consideration but my brother's embodied spiritual experience mm. with christ could not be denied i i I, I could I could not uh, gainsay it. I couldn't push it away. I had to address it, and it became something as meaningful as that in my life. And then there was another experience in the land claim issue at Caledonia, hmm. where our people were uh, protecting some land that was being stolen away from us. And at one point in the conflict, uh, that the our people had a backhoe and they began to dig up the road uh, to protect the land. And <laughs> when that first scoop of pavement was lifted up, I wept because I, and I wept because I thought we are finally saying no mm. to this abuse that has been going on for hundreds of years. We're finally standing up for ourselves in a way that says no, we have dignity, we have worth, this land is ours, this is something that's important to us and our future generations. And there was a, a, a an experience of my faith being embodied. Mm. And, and it really, you know, often people say in dealing with tough situations, what would Jesus do? Mm. Uh, it can be like a exercise in, in kind of imagination. But to me, it was like, no, Jesus would be right here standing up for people's dignity and supporting them in uh, in in their uh, rejection of the denial of justice. They would be, Jesus would be involved in all of this. So my faith became very much more embodied in terms of social justice issues. Mm. And then when I came when I came to Sandy Soto, getting to know Stan McKay and listening to him describe the land, the, the, the property here at Sandy Soto being a meeting place, 
and and of spiritual uh, significant historical significance, and then him plowing the ground and planting seeds here, mm. and beginning beginning this whole journey of uh, being connected well to the land. And I remember that first garden and the desire to to uh, do that garden and to uh, plant. Uh, you know, the traditional seeds and the uh, gardening process, the three sisters planting, all of that idea of, uh, you know, being in touch with this land. And and we began to uh, to do the work. And and then we brought people together in the Mamawe Oraski event where people harvested the land, processed food, processed hides. Uh, smoked fish, did things together, built drums, and the you know surprise to me, although it was a natural and good thing, of the kinds of healing, personal healing, relational healing that occurred in being on the land together, enjoying things together, and mm-hmm. so for me, uh, healing was not just something that's done in a clinical place somewhere or in a tent meeting service where somebody lays hands on them. But healing uh, is an, an embodied experience in relationship and community and in touch with the earth. And so the idea that faith is, you know, faith can be seen in the dirt under your fingernails, not just in your holy sanctuary in some faraway removed monastery, but right here in this earth. So the idea of embodied kind of uh, faith and relationship really opened my eyes. And then we talked about the crisis of separation of indigenous children from their parents here in Manitoba. Just Mm -hmm. so many, 90% of the people in care or the kids in care are indigenous. And we talked about how that, why don't we do something to, address that and and this idea of being on the land and doing things together combined together with the desire to help families come together and be healed and it just uh was like a us it's like having an idea having some resources tilling the ground putting the seeds in it having people till it together being healed and families coming together, which is like organic. It was mm. it was a natural outgrowth. It was like the the land produced the well being. The land produced the the freedom from addictions for some people for a, a period of time. And it, 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 it and when we first were talking about what we should do, I remember going uh, to the to the trees. I remember the first tree I went to, an oak tree. And and I thought about the ants that were on the oak tree, climbing up and down the oak tree. And I I spoke to the oak oak tree and to the ants, and I said, this is what we want to do. We want to bring families here. We want to have them experience what it is to be in touch with the land, to do things together, to learn things together, and see what we can do to help people and families come back together. Instead of them being torn apart, how can we help them to come together? And then I said, I said to the tree, I says, what do you think about that? 
Is that is that okay with you, or would you be happy with that? Uh, what about you, ants? If we did that, would that be okay? Would you would you uh, like us to do that, or, or is that okay with you? And I, I went throughout the whole property. I, I asked the the weeds. You know, we, we call weeds. I asked the uh, fish. I asked the waters. I asked the birds. I asked the animals that that went through our property. And I said, what do you think about that? Do you think that that would be okay if we did something like that? And then we moved ahead with it. And uh, we've seen all kinds of things happen here in in uh, on the land. And uh, just this summer, uh, somebody in remarking on the land says, the land is happy. Mm. So uh, I've read, you know, as much as I could, the land's response. And it seems to be saying that, yes, the land is happy that we're doing that kind of work. And and so to me, that's uh, that's how organic the answer can be. Instead of trying to figure out a program from some ab- abstract concepts and with a bunch of uh, people that are removed from the circumstance, trying to dictate some kind of program, instead uh, just by us being in touch with the land, working together with this idea of relationship. And and one thing that Stan McKay uh, talked about was that this idea of bringing families together is not about trying to turn them into Christians. Mm. The idea is, is simply the families need to be healed and be, uh, at, you know, uh, brought together. And, you know, we may be a follower of Christ, and that may be something that's helping us in terms of our understanding. But our goal is that the community, the indigenous community, can be whole, which means the restoration of language, the restoration of their people's way of understanding, their diet that comes out of the land, their uh, ceremony that builds community and supports the people that are struggling. And, and, and to me, that's what this place is all about. It's a, it's some, it's the, if the land is producing the healing, I don't think the land has the denomination United Church written on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't have, it doesn't have Mennonite written on it. It doesn't have, you know, Anglican written on it. It's the land and the people are, 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 are going to benefit from the land. And I think if you're Mennonite, you can benefit. If you're Anglican, you can benefit. If you're, Medewin, you can benefit. If you're Haudenosaunee, you can benefit Mm -hmm. because the land is not discriminatory like we can be as as followers of all of those. We can be, you know, partisan, but the land is not partisan. And Mm. so anything that interferes with the unpartisan nature of the land is kind of that's our interference. We're we're, we're stumbling uh, and putting stumbling blocks where there are none by by nature. I'm I'm struck through your whole story on on the the persistent insistence to maintain connection even when there's tensions you know across cultures uh you know like to maintain that relationship with your brother to maintain that relationship with your mother maintain that relationship with your father not not to not to have to write off the one to be able to stay in relationship with the other um 
your your Haudenosaunee identity and traditions and your and your Christian faith identity, not to write one off for the other. Um, and uh, and I I I also know like one one part of your vision uh, for the center that I've I've heard from you uh, more and more as I've listened in the in the past several years is um, making a connection a strong connection between the the ministry training work of the center and and this family wellness uh, um, work and and it's 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 such an interesting contrast to me as like as you know I'm training to be a marriage and family therapist at the University of Winnipeg um, in a culture that tends to tends to manage tensions by creating separations. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning that what I'm supposed to do as a marriage and family therapist is going to be different than what social workers are supposed to do, is going to be different from what pastors are supposed to do. And we kind of manage all these various like potential, you know, rivalries by, by spe- you know, strict specializations. Um, and uh, I've, I've uh, read in, in the Indigenous Testamer that I know you were significantly involved in, in authoring uh, in, in connection to the 20, was it 2018 calls to the church? I think it was. That's when they were formally presented. Um, that uh, the sense of what a minister or a helper or a healer is in the Indigenous imagination, that, that that's, that's one of the key assertions that that's something that the indigenous church is not going to accept a kind of uh, something that hives off spiritual leaders, you know, from the rest of the medicine wheel. Like, like that's one quadrant for one kind of person. And then we'll have physical healers and emotional healers and, and uh, what am I forgetting? Physical, emotional, spiritual, and, and mental, mental, you know, wellness healers. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have different specialties for each of those. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I'm curious if you could share something of your vision of of how you see the training of of the kind of leaders and helpers and healers that Indigenous community is is calling for at the center, uh, in a way that connects that insists on staying connected to the long history of training ministers, but is also pulling in other and insisting on other relationships. Uh, and connections. Yeah, I, I have two answers to that. One is one is related to my calling. Uh, my mother had a uh, had one son before me, uh, three and a half years older than me, and and she also had TB in her teenage years, and then a couple of isolations as a young mother. And so the doctors had said to her, uh, "You can't have any more children." And but she prayed and she asked God for another child. She says, "I want another child, and uh, that that would serve you, Jesus. Uh, you know, she's praying to Jesus, serve you, and help His people." So part of what I uh, see as my calling comes out of that prayer. So the you know the Apostle Paul said he was called from his mother's womb, and Jeremiah talked about the same thing, and I believe Isaiah. So I think there's a, like a mother's prayer matters in mm. things like that. So I think it's a part of the calling piece. 
And and then I grew up in a home that was an example of that, how two differing traditions could live together in a harmonious home. And so I think I've, I've kind of been enculturated into that possibility. The other piece is understanding uh, this idea of uh, not thinking in terms of either or, which produces those mm. those categories, those separate categories, but thinking in terms of uh, a more holistic, both and kind of way of thinking. So I think that part of what is happening is that as the indigenous voice in the United Church is increasing, there is a call for that both and, not not mm. the not the hiving off and separation into specialties, but into this idea of understanding the bigger picture too, and especially relationship. Sometimes when you put things into categories, uh, you you have to objectify things and and then start. Uh, start putting them together with other things that are just like them. So you commodify things in order to create those kind of categories, which has always been uh, used against us to, mm. you, know, you know, to really uh, uh, take away dignity. But when you start assessing things and valuing relationships, then it becomes, uh, for example, I, I, I've said this in the Caledonia situation. I've been a strong nationhood person. This is our land, our rules, our laws, and all of that. Very much idealist when it comes to indigenous uh, nationhood. My brother worked for the Ministry of Aboriginal Affairs in Ontario. So he worked, mm. and, and when the conflict happened in Caledonia, he was on the government side, <laughs> mm. and and so he actually came to my grandmother aunt and said, "I feel like I'm betraying my people by being on the wrong side of the negotiation table." And my aunt said, "This, no, you stay there. You're there for a purpose. You're there to teach them and to show them what we're talking about. You stay there and do that." So mm. my aunt mm. was fundamentally both aunt. She wasn't mm. saying you're. She wasn't mm. saying with us or against us. Yeah, you're not. You know, you're not on our team, so you're wrong. She says you're there. You've got a purpose. So that's both and thinking. Mm. So I think that, and, and the practical thing is, that's my brother. He's going to be my brother until the day he dies, or until I pass. We're brothers, and political differences or philosophical differences or job. Description differences don't interfere with that. It's going to be, you know, we are Jacobs and we come from this family and we are Kiuka. So I think that that's far more prevalent in, in a lot of indigenous understanding. And it's that both and thinking. Um, I, I did a class one time at CMU and I said, uh, you, you know, people are so, in, so into either or thinking that almost all questions are either or questions. Mm. And so and so I said, go ahead. I, I talked about some issue, and then I asked them to ask me a question. And they asked me a question, and I said, well, that's an either or question. Mm. I said, you could ask me this. And I, I gave them an 
a both and question. And then a second person asked another question. And I said, again, that is an either or question. Uh, Here's here's another way to look at that very same thing. And, And the third person asked a question. And I said, again, this shows you the ubiquity of either or. It's so much a part of your way of thinking that that's the kind of mm-hmm. question that you bring. And it, and it causes me to try to say this is right or that's right. And I said, uh, you, you, when you think both and, you come at the same issue from uh, something that affirms dignity rather than divides community. So I think that that's that's fundamentally there, and that's our gift. That's our contribution to the conversation is both ends. I, I, I think so. I, I think, think so. we've I articulated think uh, something that I, something I, I, I hear as part of the genius of in, Indigenous people in different ways and places again and again, and I think you've you've articulated that in a, in, a, in a way that's really clear. Um, that that helps me real recognize you know, sort of name that pattern. It, it it's a it's a both and imagination. It's not a it's not a dualistic worldview. Um, this has been a really rich conversation, and I, yeah. I thank you for it. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. Good. Good. Have a good day. Okay.